what is interesting is that most often when someone comes with a form of news, they'll ask you this question. I've got good news, or they make a statement. I've got good news, and I've got bad news. And how many of y'all want just the good news first? Show of hands. How many of you are like, just give me the good news? Not very many. How many of y'all, we got one, one honest lady. Thank you. Now, that means how many of y'all want the bad news? Give me the bad news first. Right, we typically want the bad news first. I, there's a lot of funny memes and and pictures out there. I saw this one this week from a text screen share. It was funny. He said, dude, I've got good news and bad news. Just give me the good news. He wanted good news first. The airbags in your car work perfectly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, I typically want the bad news before I get the good news as well. But we're starting a series on John 3.16 called What is the Gospel? And the gospel is called good news. But this word gospel is interesting. And it's a church word. It's, it's a deeply spiritual word. It's a word that our eternity hinges on. It's been misunderstood for thousands of years. But, but could you, like in your own way, in your own seat right here this morning, if you had to, could you write out a definition of what the gospel is? Could you communicate it in one or two sentences to someone? If our eternity hinges on this word and it's so often misunderstood, if it's a deeply spiritual word, if it's the essence of Jesus, could you write it down? Could you articulate it? Could you say it? And we, we want to make sure we understand and, and really plumb the depths of this over the next couple of weeks. And I, I've put together a definition, and there are several different ways you can write this, but there's the essence. And so you might want to take a picture of the screen. You might want to write this down, and you may already know this, but even if you do, don't tune out. Our entire faith rests on what we believe about this. And so the gospel is the good news about our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. So that's both what he did and who he is, Savior and Lord. He's God, who was crucified to save us from our sins. The bad news is we're sinners. The good news is he died to save us. He was buried for three days. But resurrected, why? To make us his sons and daughters and secure our eternity in heaven. And in fact, what we're going to be reading about the gospel is from the very words of Jesus himself. When we read John 3.16, you're actually reading the red letter portions of the Bible. These are Jesus' words in the context of a conversation with a religious man. And so open your Bibles to John chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 16 through 18, and then we'll spend quite a bit of time in there this morning. We'll start in verse 16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And I love 17. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. Lord, thank you for good news that Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, 
was crucified for our sins, was buried, but resurrected to make us his sons and daughters and secure for us eternal life. And today we're going to talk about how much you love us. And God, I just pray that that truth would reign in a powerful way in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. If you go back to John 3.16, this is perhaps one of the most famous verses in all of the scriptures. And if you've ever watched TV or watched a sporting event, then you have seen signs, you've seen people doing it. One of the most famous is Roland Stewart. He's known as the Rainbow Man. Show of hands, how many have ever seen him? He was very, most popular in the 80s and 90s. He would be at major football games, basketball games, MLB games, and he always had a way of finding the camera. He was a bit eccentric and he would dance, but he had John 3.16 on his shirt. Maybe a more contemporary person that you're familiar with is uh, Tim Tebow. Show of hands, no Tim Tebow. When he wore this in 2009 in the national championship game against Oklahoma, 94 million people Googled John 3.16 after the game. And so many people are confused about what actually the gospel is and what it does and, and what it means. And it's not just us today who are confused. People in Jesus' day didn't fully understand. In fact, the conversation Jesus is having when John 3.16 comes out is with a religious man named Nicodemus who is very confused. And he comes to Jesus at night because he's hesitant. And he comes and he calls Jesus teacher, but he didn't understand what kind of teacher he was. And Nicodemus had earthly credentials that Jesus didn't have, but he comes to Jesus with a lot of questions. And so if you look back up at the beginning of John 3, you'll see that Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, no one can do what you do unless they come from God. Well, he's close, but Jesus didn't come from God. He is God. And then Jesus begins to have a conversation with Nicodemus. And in verse 3, he says to this, truly, I tell you, Nicodemus, unless someone is, what's the words? Born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again. In the Greek, that's genethe anathem. It's such a powerful phrase. It's what we believe happens when we embrace and receive and surrender to the gospel. He's telling Nicodemus, you don't just walk into the kingdom of God. No, you must be born again because of the gospel into the kingdom of God. He's telling this religious leader that has grown up around the things of God that, hey, every human, man, woman, child is born spiritually dead. And unless you're born again, made alive with Christ... You will not live with God in this world, and you will not live with God in the next once this world comes to an end. You must be born again, made alive. And so Nicodemus has some questions about what it actually means to be born again. And in verse 4, Nicodemus tells Jesus, how can anyone be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? Nicodemus saying, look, I don't want to go home. Be like, hey, mom, had a really interesting day. Met Jesus, talked to him, and he said we get to live with God forever. Oh, yeah, tell me about that. Well, there's also some bad news. <laughs> said, I, I need to understand what's happening. And look at Verses 5 and 6, if you have your Bibles open, Jesus said, no, 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 truly I tell you, 
Unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of spirit is spirit. So he tells Nicodemus, when, when you're born again because of what Jesus has done, there's two things that are true. One, we are born from a woman. That's being born of the flesh. When a woman's water breaks, we are born of the woman. But then we are also born of the spirit. This is the spirit of God. This is a supernatural birth being reborn. And this is what God promised would happen in the gospel, that Jesus would take our sin and give us his spirit. Ezekiel, way back in the Old Testament, prophesied that this would happen. And Verses 26 and 27, God said, I will give you a new heart and I will put in a new spirit within you and I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, and I will place my spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinance. There is a spiritual birth that happens in the good news of the gospel where a heart of stone is taken out and a heart of flesh is put in and the spirit of God comes and dwells inside of us. New heart, new spirit. And the good news of the gospel is that you and I don't need to try to become a better version of ourselves. In fact, God makes us a new version of ourselves. And for Nicodemus, he thought the kingdom of God, being born again, was just a birthright. He's like, I'm Jewish. That is already mine. But Jesus says, no, apart from the new birth, the essence of the gospel you may be physically alive, but you are very much spiritually dead. And Nicodemus, although he was in the presence of Jesus, was confused, but he's not the only one who is confused. So many people today feel like that God, for some reason, owes us heaven. And we think, as, as one theologian put it, that we just ooze into the kingdom of God. But what Nicodemus is realizing is that being religious and knowing a lot of truths about God and being present in his church doesn't really help us. In fact, did you know that the Old Testament has 613 laws? Did you know that? That's a lot to know. Amen? And Nicodemus would have most likely memorized every single solitary one of them. He probably would have committed the entire first five books of the Bible to Memory And what Jesus is saying is, hey, you can know the Bible and not know God. You can obey all of the rules and still not belong to Jesus, still not understand the good news of the gospel and not be born again. And so Nicodemus, he prays, he goes to church, he teaches people about God, he tithes, he gives money, he's spiritual, but he doesn't understand the essence of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has not been born again. And the greatest fear I have preaching in what is the South is that people will confuse religion with a rebirth of the Spirit. And they will believe that because they have been in church the majority of their lives and sung songs and said things, that they have somehow earned God's favor or got his stamp of approval. Religion doesn't save you, church. Jesus does. And the good news of the gospel is it has already been done. And Nicodemus, he's still very much confused. And if you look at verses 9 through 15, Nicodemus says, well, how can these things be? 
Aren't you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But you don't accept our testimony. If I had told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how are you going to believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's Jesus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, listen to what Jesus says, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. This is the conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus when he gets to the most famous verse in the Bible. Again, John 3.16, Nicodemus, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son, me, right here, so that anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Christianity is not about what you and I do. It's about what has been done for you. And we cannot get there on our own. You can't put this into a life plan. You don't just work this out and Part of my other fear about this Williamson County area is that we become so successful that we're unwilling to surrender. You can't get there. But Jesus already has. And Nicodemus, he's wanting to get it right, but he's unsure what to believe. And he's trying to figure this out. And so for the next four weeks, we are going to spend a lot of time looking at how much truth is actually in one verse. And there's four things that we're going to look at over the next uh, few weeks. Today, for God so loved the world. Next week, he gave his one and only son. The next week, that anyone who believes. And then the last week, will have eternal life. That's going to be the flow. And today, we're going to talk about how God so loved the world. And the problem with even beginning a conversation on the love of God is that we really have no frame of reference for what love truly means. And I I found some examples of this. I found a a note that one camper wrote to her mom talking about how much she loved camp. She said, Dear Mom and Dad, I love everything about this camp, except the campers. (laughs) Love Serena. I love my church, except all the people in it sometimes, right? I'm not saying that. You're saying that. I'm just saying I would never say that. Next, I saw this, love at first sight is possible, but it pays to take a second look. That's funny. I don't care who you are. That's funny. Next one, I love you with all my belly. I would say my heart, but my belly is bigger. Now, I don't know anyone in the room that would need to say that. Please don't call them out by name. And then the last one, this is the essence of love right here. Nasty looking spider in the closet. This I am. Couldn't get it. Shake all of your clothes out before you put them on. <laughs> that is the essence of love. But the, the problem is, I mean, we use love in such a frequent and flippant way in our culture. But the mission of Jesus was grounded in the love of God. Jesus' mission, his death, his burial and resurrection was a result of the love of God. A love that caused him to give his one and only son. The fact that he gave his one and only son emphasizes the intensity 
of his love. And the, the words one and only stress how amazing that gift was. And the fact that he loves the world is even more remarkable because that word world in the Greek is cosmos. And everywhere else in the scripture, its connotation is wickedness, evil, sin, depravity. So, for God so loved the evil, sinful, wicked, and depraved cosmos. So, God didn't love us because we are lovely. The awe-inspiring truth is he loved us because he is love. And Nicodemus and his fellow Jews, they, they were familiar with the fact that God loved Israel, God's chosen people. But God's love is not determined or limited by any sort of race, ethnicity, gender, or background. In fact, Revelation says in the end, every every tongue, tribe, and nation will be there. And there is some 8 billion people on the world today, and God's love is not so profound because there are so many people in the world. God's love is so profound because the world is so desperately wicked. So wicked, in fact, that John, the author of what we're reading Elsewhere, forbid Christians to actually love or partake in any part of the world. He said, run from it. But what John told Christians, hey, avoid and run from, God loved with this selfless, costly act of redemption. It's profound. I love that Ephesians 1 tells us, was set on us before the very foundations of the world. That God chose us and loved us before he even formed the world. It's pretty profound to think about, isn't it? So before he put a star in orbit, before a galaxy was stretched to its borders, before there were mountains or oceans, Before there was this world and anything in it, there was God and he had chosen to love his people. There was an eternal love that he had stretched out and placed on us. And that distinguishes and separates his love from any and every other love on the planet. And I have no doubt that your mama, your great-grandma, your great-great-grandmama love you. You're a pretty special little thing. But God's love is different than every other love on the planet. Because God's love for us isn't based on my past or my present or my future. Because he loved me before I had one. It's based on him and his character and his plan and his purpose. His love isn't about me, it's about him. And that's why I glorify him and sing to him and follow him. And so many in the church have only and ever experienced like a works-based type of love. So if I do really, really well in sports, or if I get a particular grade, or if I dress a certain way, or if I climb the corporate ladder, if I make a certain amount of money, then I get approval and acceptance and love. But that is not the message of the Bible, that we do not earn his love because he loved us before we were us. And the most beautiful part of John 3.16, for God so loved the world, is he loves you right now in this moment where you sit. 
Agape is the word. It's sacrificial. It's selfless. For God so loved that he looks down on us and he does so with affection marvels me, church. Because I don't know each of you very well. Sometimes I stalk you on Instagram. I'm just joking. I don't do that. But you know who I do know? I know me pretty well. And I know the parts of me that you don't see and you don't know. And the sins that I am shamed about and the things that I have done and the fact that God loves me. In spite of me. Will cause me to follow him every day of my life. And the best way in my life that I've ever heard this described, I think I shared it with you a, a few years ago, but I think it is the best way to picture the love of God. And the way I heard it described was like this. It's because the only thing funnier really on planet Earth, and I see a little one over here, the only thing funnier on planet Earth than, than parents and children is the parent of a children, right? Watching the parent of a child, and every, every parent thinks that their kid is way ahead of the curve, you know, like, look at little Wade, he's talking. Look at little Wade, he's walking. I'm like, he's 17, you know, you might want to realize he's average. <laughs> but in every home, there's this little miracle that, that happens, and there's a baby who for months will just lie on their back, and then all of a sudden, one day, they flip over onto their stomach, and then they get up on their hands and their knees, and then when they start crawling, it is a game, it's a game changer when they crawl, is it not? Like, where did they go? And you've got to hide stuff and put stuff up, and then not only are they crawling, but then they work themselves to a chair, and then they go over to a coffee table, and they, they begin to climb up, and then once they climb up, they stand, and then once they stand, what happens next? It's not a cognitive decision of the will, but a biological happening that only a genius God could create because they let go of the table, and because God get made them with these giant heads... And tiny little bodies, they lean forward. And then what happens next is what's called momentum. And so they either stick a foot out or die. And they do. And then it's step, 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 step. And then what? Fall. And then what? Chaos. The parents are celebrating and crying and laughing and uploading it on Instagram and Facebook and calling grandma and calling them. And then they sit them back up and like, do it again. And then they watch him step, 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 fall. Do it again. And you know what I've never seen happen in any of those moments? I've never heard a story of a dad being at work or a mom being at work and coming home and the kid got their first steps. And like, let me, let me see. And then they do it and they step, 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 fall. And they're like, what's wrong with you? Get up, walk more. Looks at his wife. Must be something from your side of the family. I mean, we walked way better early, you know. Never seen a father respond to his child like that. Never seen him say, when are you going to get this walking thing down? I'm doing it. Your mom's doing it. Good night for a treat. The dog will do it. 
But it's been my experience that when we talk about the love of God, we're so convinced that, yeah, he saved us, and yes, he chose us, and yes, we've been born again, but in our journey, and we step, 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 and fall, that God's love is such that he would say, when in the world are you just going to figure it out? Could 2023 maybe be the year that you finally figure out a quiet time or a Bible study time? When are you going to figure this out? Do you know how many people are doing it? Why can't you do it? And so what should draw us into worship and reverence and awe and comfort and peace doesn't because we don't understand the love of God. And so we run from instead of running to. For God so loved the world, the cosmos, the Bible says, while we were yet his enemies, he was crucified for us. That he gave his one and only son so that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So do not pick up Christian lingo Don't just sing songs. Don't just come to church. Readjust your view of the Father. The Bible says that he adopts me. Zephaniah says he delights in me. He sings over me. And so even if with blood on your knees, get back up and realize he will pick you up and swing you around and celebrate your life because of the gospel. Because we didn't do anything... (laughs) To earn the love of God, and there's nothing you can do to take it away. Nothing in your life or in this world. That's one of the reasons why I love what Romans 8 says towards the end. It says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or disease or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all the day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. But keep reading verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who what? Loved us. Verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers. Verse 39. Nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The most secure thing you have is the love of God. And we don't understand how weighty it is. And love cannot and will not be experienced apart from Jesus Christ. It is the most powerful and precious thing in creation. It is active. It is not reactive. And it is not dependent on you. And if you look back at that verse, it tells you. Go to the next slide here. It says, death can't separate you from God's love. Life can't separate you from God's love. Angels can't separate you from God's love. Rulers can't separate you from God's love. Things present can't separate you from God's love. Things to come can't separate you from God's love. Heights and depths can't separate you from God's love. Any created thing can't separate you from God's love. And the last thing I would say is this. You, you can't separate you from God's love. Because it's not about you. That's what makes the good news of the gospel so glorious. 
It's about a Savior who came. Well, wait, I'll turn my back. He doesn't. I've ran away. He's really fast. And he's already in your future. Where are you going to go? And if you're in, you're in and you can never be out. You can't make him love you anymore and you can't cause him to love you any less. You get a new way of life. And that's not news you're going to hear on social media this year. That's not what you're going to hear on Fox News or CNN. And because of God's love, we will conquer anything. And my prayer for you today is that this is not a religious statement. This is not an act. This is not something that you've done. That this becomes who you are. God told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And so during this series, and perhaps even today, don't assume, don't wonder, don't guess that you belong to God and and have been born again. And if those of you in the room who are confident in that, I want you to pray right now for the people who will be here today who are not. Our, Our church, by God's grace, has many in it every Sunday and in our lives who have yet to become followers of Jesus and we're so grateful for that. It's part of our mission and so pray for them. But today if you are not confident with every ounce of your soul and every ounce of your being that you're willing to risk your life on it then I want you today to grab the connection card when we sing you to mark on it. I want to know and follow Jesus. Let us have a conversation with you. Let us put that to bed in your life so from this moment forward you can rest in the love of God. Would you do that? Would you do that? Lord, today we pray that the love of God would cause us to marvel and to wonder and to worship. And Lord, we are grateful for Jesus, our Savior and Lord, who was crucified for us, buried for three days, but rose again, was resurrected to defeat death and allow us to be sons and daughters and to secure eternity for us. And so would you empower, would you awaken the spirits in the room today who need to trust and follow Jesus? In his name we pray. And everybody said, amen.